Well, we are here to worship, and that's uh, the primary purpose where God's people gather. We're here to uh, raise uh, our praise to him and to recognize him for who he is and to special thanks to the choir. Uh, they're going to be taking a, a few months off over the summer like many of us, so we're very grateful for uh, Dochelle and, and the rest of the choir to lead us in worship this morning. Uh, even like, like there's, there's, there's a lot of hidden cool there. Like, like, you know, there's, so, way to go. So, uh, there's been all kinds of things happening, and, and let me just add to what uh, Pastor Andrew has said. So, last week, uh, during the announcement, when we found out that uh, Pastor Josh will soon be our new lead pastor, I wasn't able to be here, but let me uh, reiterate my, my complete joy at, uh, at this news and knowing that uh, the church will be in great hands. And uh, maybe something that you didn't know, that not only is Pastor Josh accomplished in many areas, he can make a really mean pancake from scratch. So uh, those of you who were at the ladies' morning out yesterday, uh, Pastor Josh and, and Jim Bell and I were in the kitchen kind of working our magic uh, just to let you know that, that pastors just aren't eye candy. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure there's a big amen coming from there somewhere. Like, like okay, good. So... That, Josh is just multi-talented, and, and he knows us through and through, and so I'm looking forward over these next uh, few weeks and months to, to passing over the baton. There, there's a lot of uh, kind of lasts and firsts in, in some of that, so you'll just have to kind of bear with me as, as someone who is kind of working his way out, uh, hopefully gracefully. Uh, there'll be a, a number of lasts that are that are happening over the next while, and let's 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 celebrate those. I've I've already got the number of sermons I have left uh, counted down, and, and you know that's for your benefit, not not for mine. And uh, so let's let's just be waiting on the Lord for His blessing as as this transition takes place. We're continuing on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and as uh, Pastor Andrew has already indicated. Uh, We've come upon a text as Jesus has been expounding it that we may not normally find on a given Mother's Day, but I would invite you to stand with me as we hear from Jesus through the pen of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 27 and going to verse 32. That's Matthew 5, 27 to 32. You've heard that it was said... You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we come to you this morning 
wanting to see the world as, as you see it. And that's often a challenge for us because we just simply tend to see ourselves and the world as it affects us. And so, Lord, we pray through the words of Jesus this morning that our eyes may be opened, our perspective may be widened, and our hearts may be warmed at what it is that you are calling us to do and and to be today. We love you and we, we trust you. And we pray that as you speak to us through your word, that we would have willing and open ears to hear. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. If, uh, if you've been around church for any length of time at all, you probably already know the drill, and here it is. On Mother's Day, characteristically, we, we praise our mothers because that's a great thing to do. But in a month's time, when Father's Day come around, comes around, we tend to beat up on our fathers. You, you ever notice that? that? That's kind of a rhythm. And if you haven't noticed that, you obviously haven't been paying any attention. So that's kind of the normal way in which things happen. But we thought this year... Let's just kind of change it up a little. Instead of praising our moms on Mother's Day and beating up on our dads on Father's Day, let's take Mother's Day and beat up on our fathers. So how's that sound? So as you may have already noted, the choice of this text in the Sermon on the Mount isn't your normal Mother's Day fodder. It's not the kind of text we usually read on Mother's Day. But let me... uh, tell you a little bit of a secret here. So, so Pastor Josh and Pastor Andrew and I are our preaching team at the church, and so we get together months in advance, and we try to plan out these, these uh, sermon series. And so we're, we're working along, and we thought, okay, well, let's go through the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, that's great. Uh, let's call it the King's Speech. Oh, yeah, that's great. And so we started divvying up the various portions of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, and everything was going swimmingly until we realized that this was the text that was going to have to be preached on Mother's Day. And all of a sudden, the room grew very quiet. Too quiet. Because what was going on inside of each of our minds was was this. Who is that dumb that they would want to preach this text on Mother's Day? You have your answer. You'll notice in in what Jesus is saying here is that he's addressing males, married males primarily, because in those days, adult males were pretty much always all married. There are only a few exceptions, Jesus being one of them. So you'll notice that in in these two uh, sections of Scripture, that, that Jesus is primarily singling out the married guys. Now, that doesn't mean that the rest of us can't learn from this, but we we need to realize that primarily the focus is placed there, and for a good reason. And by the time we're done here, hopefully you'll recognize how all of this ultimately does relate to how we treat our mothers and those uh, whom uh, we we treasure as those who have given nurturing and, and direction in our lives. 
So we'll notice that in the Sermon on the Mount, what we have here is, is Jesus' discipleship manual. For those of us who follow him, what he says in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 is the manual of to how we're to live. Notice how it begins. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. You see, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' discipleship manual. He's saying to those of us who follow him, this is what your life should be and can be like. This is my I have a dream speech for my kingdom. He gives us a sneak peek at heaven where things on earth are done as they are in heaven. And so that's why some of his words are, are hard words for us to hear because they are expressing Jesus' imagination and his dream for what we can become. And sometimes what Jesus is hoping for and what we know we are like are so far apart that it's awfully hard to hear him cast this vision for the kingdom of heaven. But we've noticed as we've gone along, this is what Jesus is doing. And in the last couple of weeks or so, we've noticed that Jesus is zeroing in on the kind of lives we should live in order to be right with God. How does Jesus expect us to live as his followers? And so that's why we've been going through in the last little while, Pastor Andrew started us off uh, last week talking about, well, you have heard it said, but I say to you, there are six of those occasions where Jesus is showing what he expects of us and how we live our lives. So Pastor Andrew was talking about anger and murder, and we're going to take a look at the next couple of these because of, of the fact that they are connected. And they're connected by a common theme. And that common theme is adultery. And just so that we have an operating definition before us, before we dive in, let's just uh, agree to believe that adultery is the betrayal or the breaking of the marriage covenant by an illicit sexual relationship. Now these next two antitheses, as they're called, have this common denominator uh, that, that welds them together. So what we're having uh, come across our, our minds as Jesus is continuing to, to speak these things is the fact that he wants us to live in a way that is superior to those spiritual leaders that were surrounding the, the people of, of his own day. And so he more or less sets up a contrast between two kinds of living, or basically two kinds of heart. Now he says, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we will not enter this kingdom of heaven. And so he refers to this kind of, of, uh, of righteousness, and we'll just call it for our own purposes, a rule-keeping heart. And he's saying, for those of us who follow Jesus... Our lives need to, to come from something deeper than just the capacity or desire to follow the rules. And so the contrasting way of living is not having a rule-keeping heart, but having a kingdom heart. 
And this is the, is the tension that's at play, starting with what Pastor Andrew talked about last week, and then on through these next five of these antitheses, including the two that we're looking at today. How is it that Jesus wants us to live and to act? So he starts by listing what would normally be the approach of the scribes and the Pharisees. You have heard that it was said. This is conventional, contemporary religion, according to uh, those who were uh, walking along with Jesus at the day. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So in essence... This gives a bit of a, of a sense of how those religious leaders were viewing their behavior. They had all kinds of reasons why they should not commit adultery. Adultery was particularly important and serious because if you committed adultery and you were a Jewish person, you not only offended this one of the Ten Commandments, the Seventh Commandment, In committing adultery, you also were breaking commandment number eight, which is thou shalt not steal because you're stealing someone else's wife. And you were also breaking commandment number 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. So this was pretty serious business. And along with that, the whole idea of adultery was used as the picture of the relationship between Israel and Yahweh. And for years and years, as, as God led Israel, the, the relationship between them was, was called adulterous because Israel would often follow and worship other gods and, and act in an adulterous fashion instead of being faithful to its covenant with God. So these rule-keeping people are, have all kinds of motivation. A good rule-keeping Jew would not be caught dead committing adultery. Because if they, well, if they did, they were dead because it was a capital crime. You could be put to death for committing adultery. The important thing for them is that, that they maintained the letter of the law. That they are not uh, taking someone else's wife from one of their neighbors. And that was the primary motivation to keep them on the straight and narrow. Now, Jesus would agree with them to a certain extent to say, yes, it is important that that we we understand the seriousness of, of this command so that we don't act upon it, but it has to be something more. It's more than just not committing adultery because that's simply a reflection of the rule keeping heart. Jesus goes on to say it has to be something more. What is the expression of the kingdom heart in this regard? Well, he goes on to say, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, in in other words... What, what Jesus is saying to us, it's not enough simply to obey the letter of the law. What Jesus is saying, adulterous actions come from an adulterous heart. And an adulterous heart is fed by adulterous eyes, gazes 
upon those that you are not married to with a desire that you would have an illicit relationship with that woman. You see, Jesus is addressing the married male population among his disciples, saying, to reflect kingdom values, to be part of the kingdom of heaven, there has to be more than just simply abiding by the rules. There should be more than just fear of getting caught that will help you relate to your own wife as well as to the wives of others. It has to flow deeply from the heart. And so that you are completely and utterly faithful in your marriage. Which means all of you, your your heart, your soul, your mind, your aspirations, your dreams, all of these things are wrapped up intimately in the one that you have chosen as your wife. The one that you have entered into a marriage covenant with to say, until death do us part, we will do all of this life together. And what happens when we allow our eyes to stray and look at another woman with that kind of lustful intent, we have in our minds betrayed or broken that marriage covenant. We are mindfully being unfaithful. We are not being absolutely faithful in our marriage. Now, some of you may be thinking, wow, that's kind of intense. And, and how many of us have been caught guilty of something that, that Jesus is saying is, is a very serious thing? Now, we're going to wonder here, now, what, what does that mean? How is it possible for a, a married man to go all the way through life and, and not to have looked to the left or, or to the right? And how has that been complicated in recent years due to the advent of internet and internet pornography? That takes a whole new level into what it means to look lustfully at someone. So there are all kinds of things, implications to what Jesus is saying here in our day and age that we have to be careful. What does it mean to maintain purity in our devotion to to those that we have loved and, and have married? those into which we have joined a marriage covenant. Now, what, what does that mean? Does that mean that we, we cannot even notice other women? In case you haven't gathered, that, that kind of goes against a little bit of male physiology. It's kind of against the way a lot of people, guys, think. We, we are very visually oriented. And so we're wondering, is, is Jesus saying, well, we can't even notice that another person of, of the opposite gender exists? Well, there, there is a considerable difference between noticing someone and focusing on someone. Because it's the lustful intent that Jesus says is bubbling out of a heart that is not right with God. So a kingdom heart is is able to, to notice 
other women, even other married women, but they don't focus on those women because they are absolutely faithful to the bride of their youth. So for those of you wondering whether Jesus can even be serious about this or not, yes, he is. He's calling us to absolute, complete faithfulness in our marriage. Now, he's not saying that we have to be like, there is a, there's a group of the Pharisees called the bruised Pharisees. There was a group among, among that particular uh, sect in, in Judaism. And they were called the bruised Pharisees because they felt that women were a source of temptation. And so in order to uh, alleviate that temptation, they vowed that they were not going to look on women. Hence the name bruised. Because whenever they would encounter a woman, they would close their eyes and they kept running into walls and to trees and got themselves completely bruised up because that's how they felt, that's how you deal with this temptation. Now when you think about it, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now, how does that help you treat your wife with respect by, by despising all other women? When, when you think of it, like... What, what sense does that make? So we need to recognize here that Jesus is realistic. He knows how we're wired. He wired us. But he still, in the midst of that, is calling us to complete, absolute faithfulness in our marriage. Now, Martin Luther used to say, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. You see the difference? You can't stop birds from flying over your head. You can't stop noticing other women, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. It is a call not to, to with lustful intent, look at someone else's wife because that is not expressing absolute, complete faithfulness in your marriage. Now, Jesus wants us to remember this. So he uses a, a few phrases, a couple of phrases here that, that have caused us all kinds of grief. Like, how do we understand this? So, if your right eye, which is supposed to be our strong eye, according to them, if our right eye causes us to stumble, if our right eye causes us to fall away from God, what do we do? We, Jesus says, we tear it out and we throw it away. Because it's better to lose one body member than to have all your body members be sent to hell. Wow. That's intense. I mean, I, I grew up, my, my dad lost his uh, left eye in, in a farming accident when I was just a kid. And, and it was quite an event around our, he was doing something that he shouldn't have done, which he did a lot of, and, and all of a sudden he, he ended up kind of having a metal file driven uh, into his left eye socket. This kind of normal stuff around our farm. And, and, and so we had to get used to someone who was, was living with just one eye. And, and there was a lot of adjustments there because your depth perception is gone. 
and, and every family vacation that we spent with dad driving, we didn't really care where we went. We just wanted to get there in one piece. Because he was a terrible driver. He had no idea where he was going and how far it was to the stop sign and how, how near the, the, the opposing traffic was, any of that stuff. It's a pretty serious thing to go through life with one eye. Jesus goes on to say, and he's saying the same thing basically, if your right hand causes you to fall away from God, it's best to cut it off and throw it away. The same thing. He's trying to get us to take it seriously. Now, maybe some of us don't understand, so let me just try to illustrate this. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't check this with Peggy ahead of time because I knew she would tell me not to do it. So, I, I don't know how many of you remember years and years ago, we were talking through the, uh, the book of Judges and we were talking about Jael and Sisera and I had this, this visual aid where I took this hammer and this tent peg and drove it through a watermelon. Remember that? Those of you who are long-termers. All kinds of trauma uh, came from that. Kids were getting nightmares and all the rest of that. So I decided what we do is we, you know, we dismiss the kids uh, before the sermon and so that's, that's how I'm, I'm dealing with this. So, um, this may still be kind of traumatic. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lying. So, I mean, if you think this is going to really bother you, just look away. But what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to actually make a point here. So, we're, we're wondering when Jesus says this, if your right hand offends you, you know, chop it off and throw it away, what, what is he saying? throw that away. Okay, I got it. This is not as easy as it looks. There we go. Now what's Jesus saying? (laughs) Is he saying that we should take him literally? No. No. I hope not. But is he saying, take him seriously? Yes. He's saying that our eyes and our hands belong to our wives. And if our eyes are causing us to flag in in our faithfulness, we, we need to just not look. Just don't look. And if our hands are leading us away from our absolute faithfulness to our wives, we, we've got to stop. Don't touch. So don't look. Don't touch. And if our computers and the things that pop up on those computers are causing us to be unfaithful to our wives, we shut them off. And if you're having trouble with this difficulty of of internet pornography, don't boot it up, boot it out. (laughs) Get rid of it. Because these are the things that lead us down the path from a kingdom heart 
to a heart that's only worried about getting caught. Now, Jesus moves on to to the second one of these in verses 31 and 32, and he moves from our faithfulness in marriage to speaking about divorce. Now, this obviously is is a very difficult and tender subject for for many of us. And I don't know about you, but according to the statistics, it says about half of all marriages these days end in divorce. In my own family of origin, there were three of us in the family, and I am the only one in our family that remains married uh, to my wife. Uh, I, I don't think she's thought seriously uh, uh, about divorce. Murder, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's prevalent. It's all around us. Our own family um, has been touched by this. And so when, when we hear Jesus say these words, they're, they're challenging, very challenging. And, and, and what is he saying? Well, what he does here is he quotes how the religious contemporaries of his day, the, the rule keepers, were taking a passage out of Deuteronomy 24 and were using it to their own ends. And he said, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now, we know this these two verses isn't everything that the Bible tells us about divorce. This isn't everything that even Jesus tells us in the same gospel of Matthew about divorce. And in chapter 19, it goes into more and greater detail. And if you want to take a look at that, that's probably helpful here. But we want to pay attention to these two verses in particular. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying the same thing that he said in the previous antithesis. He's trying to get us to get beyond the rule-keeping heart, which says that if you find a reason to divorce your wife, to make it legal, all you have to do is to write her a certificate of divorce. And that frees that woman to go and then ultimately be remarried. In, in those days, the, the aspect of remarriage was, was a no-brainer. You see, we we come to this text, and our primary concern is about, okay, what is Jesus saying about remarriage after divorce? That's not the issue that Jesus is dealing with. In, In Jesus' day, when you were divorced, it was almost assumed that you would be remarried. And the reason why you gave a certificate of divorce is so that you would allow your divorce mate to actually become remarried. So that's... That's not the issue that that Jesus is dealing with here. Because if you were a woman in particular and were divorced by your husband, and in those days it was pretty much always the male who took the initiative. There was was no no no-fault divorce in, in those days. It was always the male prerogative except in the most bizarre exceptions where, where the male would take the initiative here. So if you are the wife and you have just been divorced and, and uh, given your certificate, you have two other options other than remarriage. 
you were either destitute or a prostitute. So what would you choose? So in, in those days, remarriage after divorce was not an issue. And Jesus isn't even addressing the nature of divorce here. But those who have this rule-keeping heart are, are saying, well, all you need to be above board is simply when that happens, when you want to divorce your wife, you just make it legal and you give this certificate of divorce to her. And as we might expect, Jesus has something to say about this. See, Jesus isn't so much worried about the nature of divorce as he is the nature of marriage. So he goes on, But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So what Jesus is doing here in this harsh, harsh language is to say, he's not going to get involved in this discussion of what are the appropriate grounds of divorce, what are the appropriate grounds of remarriage. He would rather spend time talking about God's original divine intention for marriage in the first place. And in God's mind, marriage was designed for one man, for one woman, in one lifetime. And what, what, what Jesus is calling for here is abs- to be absolutely faithful to your marriage. What he's saying, then, is that, that our complete and utter faithfulness is to our bride. Now, when you, when you start to, to, to join some of the dots here, you'll notice that there's something in common here in what Jesus is saying. You don't look lustfully at someone who is not your wife, and you don't unnecessarily divorce her because you found something that is not right with her. You don't do any of those two or either of those two if you care for her as a living, breathing person, as one you love, one in uh, with which you are in covenant, one who has been created in the image of God. You see, you only lust after people and you only discard people if you treat them as objects. And Jesus is saying, we we aren't free to do that. When we commit to someone, we commit to someone. And in, and in God's ideal for how he has designed marriage is that this original man and this original woman are, are designed when they come together in marriage to, to be together until death does them part. Because every time our eyes wander lustfully from our wives, we are betraying our marriage covenant. And every time we try to uh, get rid of our wives through divorce because they are not pleasing to us in something that is, that is far less serious than it should be, we, we are treating them as objects, not as persons. 
Jesus is giving us here in, in his own language and his own time a picture, a vision of true gender equality. This is where husbands treat their wives with respect and love and self-sacrifice. That's God's desire for his people in his kingdom. Now, in a marriage relationship, when one of those parties actually betrays the marriage covenant in a significant fashion by breaking it through adulterous relationships, then Jesus says that the grounds are there because what, what has basically happened is one member of that covenant has broken the covenant and, and that marriage has been annulled. That covenant has been broken. Doesn't mean it couldn't be repaired, but it has been broken by one party. And so Jesus, in the midst of this, is, is holding out the ideal for marriage, one man, one woman, for an entire lifetime, but at the same time recognizing our, our depravity and our selfishness, saying that when one of those parties actually breaks that covenant... That, that covenant is, is indeed broken. And on those occasions, Jesus allows this exception in this instance of sexual immorality, then because that covenant has already been broken, it is, it is a dissolved marriage, and from that point on, it, it, it doesn't really matter a whole lot, and, and the parties are, the innocent party in particular, is free to remarry if, if that's what indeed takes place. But if, if we come to these two little verses, as packed as they are, trying to uncover our, our own agenda, and that is, what are the appropriate circumstances under which divorce is allowed? What we're basically doing is we're taking Jesus' comment to the kingdom heart, and we're looking at it as though we have a rule-keeping heart. We're not coming to Jesus' words here about marriage with, with an eye to a loophole. What Jesus is trying to focus our attention on is, is the beauty and the permanence of the marital relationship. And it's worth dedicating your entire life to this relationship. Because out of the depths of our heart, we are committing ourselves to that other person. And together, as husband and wife, we are wound together as one. And become one flesh. So, in the end, what Jesus is calling us to is, is this, this self-giving, this loving, this committed kingdom heart in the way that we as, as married males treat those who are our wives. It's important. We need to pay attention to it. That is a kingdom value that we look at those that we have married as, as sacred, as members of this holy covenant that we love and serve and cherish. Now, in the end, we, we may have thought as, as we began that this is, 
is a really, really weird text for Mother's Day. But, but do you see how that has kind of turned around? So what, what we see here in what Jesus is saying is that in his kingdom, guys will value their wives as precious gifts to whom they will be completely and absolutely faithful. That's what he's calling. He's calling us to absolute faithfulness in our marriage and absolute faithfulness to our marriage. Now we know that there's, there's a lot of forces out there that, that would de- distract us from this kind of commitment. I've already mentioned the statistics and you all know them that in our society, half of the marriages end, end in divorce. So how can we take what normally happens in, in, in the course of life where, where we live, in, in, the, in the ground in which we walk, and how do we compare that to what Jesus is calling us to? Because this is way out there. It's, it's way different. How can we stop looking like everyone else looks at marriage and start looking at it through brand new eyes? Is it even possible? Jesus thinks it is. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Ken Davis or not. He's a, he's a motivational speaker and kind of a humorist, actually. And, and he was relaying this story. He was to give a motivational speech to a Fortune 500 company, all their executives. They're in a big convention center, big poshy hotel. And he was down there in, in the area about ready to, to give his speech, and he realized that, that he forgot his notes. So didn't figure that was going to go over too well with, with all these movers and shakers. So he decided, well, I have got to go back up to my room and I've got to get my notes and I've only got five minutes left. So he runs to the elevator, gets on the elevator all by himself, pushes the ninth floor button and is anxiously studying those dots, those, those buttons, as the elevator slowly makes its way up to the ninth floor. And it gets to the ninth floor and he's kind of looking at the, at the door, waiting it for, for it to open and, and there's the normal sound of the elevator stopping and there's the normal sound of the elevator doors opening, but he's watching them and nothing's happening. He's trapped in the elevator. He can't believe his lousy luck. And he's getting more and more nervous. And if you ever heard him before, you've heard him maybe say this. A bad word formed in the back of my mind. And all of a sudden, it just kind of spurted out. And he said, and, and I kicked the door just to help the maintenance people with, uh, with opening the door. And, and he was fussing and fuming and and he started screaming out as loud as he could saying the elevator door's not opening and all of a sudden behind him there was this voice that says yes it is he was in the elevator all by himself freaked him out until he turned around and realized he was in one of those elevators that you get in on one set of doors and the uh, other set of doors is what opens when you arrive on your floor. And greeting him there in the hallway were a group of about five or six people really nervous about this guy cursing and swearing and kicking at the elevator door. Because he only thought there was, only, there was just one way to look at this and he was looking at it and nothing was happening. 
But his experience reminds us there is always another way. We don't have to keep looking this way. There is another way. This is the Jesus way. This is the kingdom heart way. And we can do it with Jesus' help. Because everything Jesus calls us to, he empowers us to do. And so, this Mother's Day, it's important that we treat our mothers well. That we we treat them as the royalty that they are. But if you want to give your mother or your your, uh, significant other the, the gift that they want and need more than anything else, give them your kingdom heart. Give them yourself. All of yourself. Your eyes, your hands, your feet, your heart. And then all the rest of that stuff just kind of falls into place the way it should. Can it be done in our own steam? Probably not. Should it be done? And can it be done to the glory of God? 